Well, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ from the Conservative Congregational Christian Conference. I'm Terry Shannon, Northeast Regional Pastor. I cover all of the New England uh, churches for the four C's. I visit about 128 churches. Uh, don't get to all of those in, in one year, but we make the rounds almost every Sunday. I'm in a different pulpit. Uh, I haven't been here for a few years, so if you're not, if you haven't kept up with some of our latest uh, uh, ministry initiatives. Uh, we have a back table back there. It have some things you can, uh, um, brochures you can take. Uh, two of our very strong initiatives these last two years is, is uh, part of our guiding seven guiding values. And two of those values, one is healthy pastors. The other is healthy disciple-making churches. And we always go into our churches and we ask them what their pathway is for making disciples. I don't have to ask here. I go around. There's signs everywhere. I was in the, I was in the restroom. There's a sign there, so it shows how you uh, make disciples in this church. So you're doing uh, the work uh, well and in order. So we really appreciate being here today. Carlotta and I drove up from New Hampshire yesterday. What a gorgeous fall day that the Lord gave us to, uh, to do that. It was uh, such such a blessing, and we're a blessing that your church is a part of our. Denomination, we want to thank you for your giving to the conference. We exist out of the uh, kindness and the giving of our our churches and our pastors, and uh, we really appreciate the support that you uh, give us in that way. So, greetings from the four C's. Um, I think if ministers were honest with you, they would tell you there's a a great deal of anxiety to stand up here behind this pulpit. Not just because it is public speaking, someone, some people have a fear of that, uh, but we're given God's word to present to you. It's, it's quite a uh, humbling uh, honor uh, to do that on any given Sunday. So uh, some pastors will tell you that they have a little bit of anxiety uh, about that, and I can tell you that some of us have anxiety dreams about coming here, and I can share a couple of my anxiety Dreams, I have a recurring dream where I can't find the venue. I'm driving around looking all over the place for the church and the hours are going by when I should have been there. And I keep driving and I can't find it. I have another scary dream where I can't find it, my Bible or my notes. I can't find any of that stuff. So I'm looking around and I can't find my Bible and notes. Of course, there's the scariest one where you can't find your clothes and you're, in, you're not able to get to the church at all. And that's... Uh, frightening. But I have one that, and I've had it a few times, and it involves the microphone. Usually I get up here and you have one of these uh, lavalier mics and you put it on and and it doesn't always work. You don't have someone as great as your person back there at the controls. And, and I, I spend some time in my dream fooling around with the microphone trying to get it to work. And by the time I turn around, you're all gone. Uh, but I see you're still here, so I guess we'll have to continue. Uh, I do. I consider it a great privilege to be with you today. It's it's a most humbling honor to preach God's word on on any given uh, Sunday. But my prayer for us today, as we're going to open up these scriptures, is that we're going to walk into God's presence together today. My prayer is that we would each receive a word from God today that speaks to our very souls. A word that 
from God that speaks to our souls and a word that actually can transform our lives because God's word is transforming. Pray with me. Oh, dear God, you are just an awesome God. We seek to walk in your presence today and to receive a word from you that is uh, directly from you to us. And we pray for that transforming word from you, Lord, because, quite frankly, we need it so badly in these times. So speak to us, Lord, that we may be transformed uh, to lead our lives for you. And it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. Um, our scripture uh, this morning, uh, first verse will be from Matthew 17, 1 through 13. It's the transfiguration. Uh, I see I have the NIV in my hand. I see you may have a, a different translation, but um, I'll be reading from the NIV. Matthew 17, 1 through 13. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from that cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. In our second reading today is uh, from Second Peter 1, 16 through 21. It's, it's uh, pretty much Peter's remembrance of this uh, event that he was uh, involved in. Second Peter 1, 16 through 21, where Peter says, We do not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the disciples and the prophets made more certain, and you do well to pay attention to it, as to the light shining in the darkness until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 
Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. May the Lord bless the reading and our hearing of that word this morning. Pastor Blake has been preaching through the book of Hebrews. And he points out that the author of Hebrews builds the argument for the preeminence and the superiority of Christ. He's teaching that Christ is greater than the angels. Christ is greater than Moses. Christ is greater than Joshua and the blessings of the promised land. Jesus is the greatest high priest. He created a superior covenant. He made a superior sacrifice. In our scripture from Matthew 17 today, we encounter Jesus and his closest disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. There he is revealed as not only greater than Moses and, and greater than Elijah, but he has come to be the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the prophets, which those two represent. You know that one of the manifestations of God's love for us is how he reveals himself to his chosen. Jesus reveals in this dramatic fashion who he is, why he's come. He came in all that brilliance to say who he is and why he came. The transfiguration witnessed by a chosen three disciples, is recorded for us that we may also experience his brilliance and to know who he is and to know why he has come. As my seminary professor always said, uh, he said, Terry, when you're preaching, you need to put whatever scripture you're preaching on in some context. So I need to bring you up to date on where we are in the Gospel of Matthew before we reach the transfiguration. So for about the next hour and 45 minutes, I'm going to go through Matthew, and then we'll get to my sermon. (laughs) No, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, Blake would love that. Sorry, though. Uh, (laughs) But around chapter 16 uh, in Matthew is a number of critical things have happened in Jesus' ministry. And I want to review uh, that narrative that brings us Uh, to the scripture today. So by this point in the gospel, Jesus has given his radical teaching for kingdom living, which is known as the Beatitudes. He's he's already taught that. He's taught us the principles of the kingdom in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. He's healed a leper. He's healed a Gentile centurion's servant. He's cast out demons out of people. He's taught his disciples extensively how they were to conduct their lives and ministries after he's no longer with them. Jesus has challenged the Pharisees and other religious leaders. And maybe he started out rather gently at first doing that and and not so gently later uh, about what it really means to serve God. He sought parable after parable about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is near. He's endured the murder of his cousin, John the Baptist, at the hand of Herod. Uh, He's fed the 5,000 and the 4,000 with a few loaves and fishes. 
He has ramped up his conversations with the religious leaders because, as he said, they have been breaking God's commands for the sake of their own traditions. And he begins to call the Pharisees hypocrites. And he calls them blind guides whose worship of God was in vain. Their teachings, nothing but human rules at this point. He was specifically warned his disciples about the teaching of the Pharisees, pretty much completely discrediting them as leaders that were leading people astray. Now, numerous miracles have been performed by Jesus. People in general have developed a huge interest in Jesus as a result of all these things that we've touched on. And Jesus knows this. And so... um, In Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? Now, all this time, the the disciples have had their ear to the ground, and they know all the buzz about Jesus. And they answer him, well, some say uh, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others say Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. But in that Matthew chapter 16, we find Peter's confession of Christ, which is key. Peter had his own insights that he had not gotten from the crowds, not from any uh, popular understandings of Jesus, but his own experience with Jesus and from what God had been revealing to him as he walked around along the road with Jesus. And Peter says... You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Peter gets it. Peter understands who Jesus is. But almost in the next breath, as as after Jesus has predicted his own death and told him he was going back to be with the Father, in deep sorrow for what Jesus has said to them, uh, Peter's the one that says, you know, this can't be so. Don't, don't let it happen. And Peter is rebuked by Jesus for being human-focused rather than focusing on God's purposes. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So quickly after Peter's confession of where he really got it, he started to waver some. And finally, right before our passage today, Jesus said in verses 24 and 25, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross. Follow me. Whoever wants to save his own life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. So we're to today's scripture now. We've gotten there through Matthew up to 17. So Jesus is with his disciples now. And they're actually on their way to Jerusalem. He set his face. He's on the way to the cross. Clearly there's still some confusion about who he is. He's spoken so radically and with such authority and with all kinds of miracles accompanying his teaching. Pretty obvious that Jesus is quite special. 
When you include things Jesus says both in Matthew and the other gospel accounts, he has made strong claims to be God at this point. He has made it clear that he and the Father are one. He has proven his divinity by his miracles. You wouldn't think there shouldn't be much confusion, especially for the disciples as to who Jesus is. But there is some confusion. And even for these three among the disciples who are the closest to Jesus, his chosen ones to go on the Mount of Transfiguration with him, Peter and, and James and his brother John, they're still a little befuddled. Who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be? They've got to be wondering. Have we been eating with and walking with and examining the life of God? We've been walking with God all these three years? I'm sure it must have been just all too overwhelming for their brains to comprehend at this point. But now Jesus takes the three I've mentioned, Peter and the brothers James and John. He's taking them for this mountaintop experience like no other. And you and I have been on top of mountains, and it's, it's, it's been glorious. And, uh, and, but this is a mountaintop experience out of this world. And this journey is going to change them forever. So each one of us, at one time or another, has wondered who Jesus is. You wouldn't be in this room if you hadn't wondered that at some point in your life. Does Jesus have a place in my life? That's the first question we often ask when we're we're kind of new to some spiritual things. We might ask that. Can I fit Jesus into my life? Can he be part of me? That's some of us when we first start to come to faith. But if we go on a journey long enough, if we walk in the faith we have, and if we practice being a Christian for long enough, we should get around to a better question. How can I be a better part of his life. How can I be of use to the kingdom of God? What role is there for me to play that lets me be me, but a me that's empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to live for his purposes? We all have questions. For now, the disciples' big question is addressed right this moment in Matthew's account. What is that question? The question is, who is Jesus? Why does he matter? They've been with him for three years. Is he merely a good man who teaches a a good philosophy? Is he just a man that has a, a great amount of courage to face a the big-time leaders, and he has the courage to call them out, is he maybe 
the deliverer that God promised ages ago, who quashes the enemy of the people of God like a bug. Who is this man? Why am I following him? You know that's likely the bigger question on the minds of these disciples. Because each one of them have given up everything. Everything they've known in order to follow this particular rabbi. So there they are. That day, they're walking up this huge mountain. They're probably tuckered out, I would think. Maybe thirsty. Probably wondering why we're on this journey. Why why this mountaintop? Why is Jesus leading us here? Nice view, I guess. But then, in this dramatic scripture we have today, without any warning, without any kind of heads up, Jesus changes. And he transforms right in front of their eyes. His, one, his face, one second, is, is just like yours or mine. And the next, it's as bright as the sun blinding and a radiant throwing light everywhere. He's exposing every shadow, every dark place, every hidden thing is naked in the light of Jesus. And then because that wasn't quite strange enough, his clothes, his clothes become as white as the light that shone from his face. His disciples were gasping, wow, no way, no way. And they're in shock. Of course, they've never witnessed anything like this. There's no denying, no justifying, no rationalizing this transfiguration away. Put yourself in the shoes of those disciples. They've they've got to be dumbfounded. Now maybe these lights go on in their minds. This is, wow, this is more than a carpenter, I'll tell you. This is more than a rabbi. He's more than a great teacher. He's more than someone who's upsetting the religious status quo. He's more than a little dangerous. He's greater than anything. He's greater than anything we've ever encountered before. So what's happening on that mountaintop? Simply put, Jesus' appearance transformed in front of those disciples, and their big questions about who Jesus is are given one colossal, entirely unexpected answer. That yes, he is the greater than. The greater than anything. And they got to be wondering, is this our rabbi that we had breakfast with this morning? He now stands before us in this radiant majesty, this divine glory. But wait, who's that standing talking to Jesus? Is that Moses? Wow. The lawgiver? The one who brought God's law to the people of God? The revered one of our people to whom God appeared in a bush of flaming fire? Jesus there standing and talking to Moses? I mean, we listen to Moses. People listen to Moses. He gave us 
God's law. Who's the other guy? No way. Elijah, the prophet? The prophet who demonstrated God's power, vanquishing the false gods with with rain or, or fire? The guy who was so holy he never died, but God took him up to heaven in a chariot of fire? Man, what an impressive duo that is. People have listened to them both forever. And Elijah's there with Moses talking to Jesus. No way, what can this mean? Moses is there representing the law. Elijah is representing the prophets. Both the law and the prophets point to the redemption. The redemption that God would accomplish through his son. Both the law and the prophets pointed to a a suffering savior. Both the law and the prophets pointed to a, a victorious Messiah. Both the law and the prophets are all about God and his plan of redemption. And there it is. And then Peter, bless his heart. Peter, petulant Peter, passionate person that he was, figures, wow, look who's Jesus with. I've got to do something. So he says to Jesus, Lord, this is great. It's good to be here. I'm going to make some structures. Let's let's make a tabernacle, a temple, a a shelter for each one of you. Uh, One for you, and then one for Moses, one for Elijah. It's going to be a great building project up here. This is going to be awesome. But no, he couldn't get to that because then Peter's interrupted by yet more light. A brilliant, bright cloud envelops Jesus and all the others. And there's a voice. A voice is coming out of the cloud. This is my beloved son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And the three, Peter, James, and John, they fall on their faces. And they're terrified. Wouldn't you be? I just can't imagine. And then while they're on the ground, I don't know what they're thinking or if they're having a conversation. They're trying to process this while it's still happening. I mean, we, we have the luxury of being able to read about it and, and uh, that type of thing. They're there. And they're trying to process it while it's going on. And they're going, wait, well, wait. Moses is here, the lawgiver. His face shone coming down from the mountain with the tablets. I'm supposed to listen to him. He's huge in our world. We should listen to him and Elijah. And who could be more giving the ear to than that guy, Elijah? He's the prophet's prophet. He's, he's the guy. The fire, the power of God unleashed by his prayers, the chariot. But then there's that voice from the cloud called Jesus, his son. The voice of God the Father speaking. To them. And there they are with their faces to the ground, shaking at what was happening in front of them. Have you ever been in a situation that was just too big for your brain to figure out while it's going on? It's just, man, this is mind blowing. 
you're desperately trying to process uh, what's, what's going on. And that's where these guys were. Jesus comes to them, much like he had in the past, actually. when Remember when the disciples were out in the boat and the sea raged around them? And like he said to the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, Jesus comes to them and he actually touches them on the shoulder. The spectacle has passed. You know, it's just the three of them now with Jesus. The lawgiver and the prophet, they're not there anymore. Jesus remains. And he touches them. And he speaks to them, it would seem, very gently. They don't know yet that the fireworks have ended. And he says, get up. Don't be afraid. And they look and they see no one but Jesus. Now there is none but Jesus. We've got an old song that says, none but Jesus, I think. But now there's none but Jesus. And they go down that mountain. Jesus tells them to tell no one what had happened until he has been raised from the dead. They have shared something amazing on their mountaintop experience. Amazing. And he tells them, tell no one until I'm raised from the dead. Well, we're fairly certain that one of these three men, Peter, knew that Jesus was the Messiah through his his great confession. And he knew it by faith. He knew it by his experience with Jesus in real time. And he knew it by revelation, and he made that confession earlier. The two others up until that time had an idea of who Jesus was. John was actually known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, very close to him. They probably had good comprehension. But now, but now they knew, now they knew Jesus was God's son. God the Father had said it. Exact same words at Jesus' baptism, if you remember. This is my son whom I love, and him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Moses was the one through whom God gave the law. Elijah was the prophet of all time. But now God has come in the flesh in Jesus Christ. They knew that everything and everyone else paled in comparison. Jesus was and is the greater than. Just as you've been going along with Pastor Blake. Jesus is the greater than. And they knew that their future was wrapped up from then on, just listening to Jesus, serving Jesus, loving Jesus, doing what he said to do, just as our lives should be wrapped up and doing the same. So the question for all time, the most important philosophical question anyone has ever or will ever be asked, the most practical question, practical simply because it's the most positively life-altering question anyone can answer, 
And that question is, it's Jesus' simple question to his disciples, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And you need to ask yourself, if Jesus is asking you that question, who do you say I am? Now, some say that, well, you know, those who witnessed that, those who saw that, well, you know, of course they believed. I mean, that's a pretty compelling. Uh, they were blessed to be eyewitnesses of these moments, momentous events, and they didn't really have a choice, did they? Except, of course, that Jesus had already done all kinds of things that we talked about in Matthew that were proof of his divinity. He performed this miracle and that miracle, and some believed. Some others walked away indifferent. Some were mildly amused. No room in their hearts, clearly, for the Son of God. Uh, Better things to do, apparently. And still others who were direct witnesses to Jesus' irrefutable miracles chose to respond by plotting to murder him, to remove the problem of Jesus, to, to blot him out of their lives so they could just get on with their lives as usual. People do that today? Blot him out of their lives? But for the disciples who witnessed the transfiguration, how could they refuse him now? And for the other followers of Jesus, who also saw or heard the spoken testimony or eventually who read the written testimonies of the disciples, what we know as the Gospels, how could they refuse him now? Well, I'm afraid the choices that we face now are the same Choices that people faced then. We know that people refused and rejected Jesus then. We know that people continue to refuse and reject Jesus now. And they not only reject him, they, they mock him. They refuse to accept him. Even when they've seen his brilliance. So what about you? Have you had the transforming brilliance of Jesus shine in your life in such a way that you can do no other than to accept him as your Lord and Savior? No greater opportunity for a new life awaits you than your answer to Jesus' question. Who do you say I am? There's no more important question that you'll ever consider. So will you answer as Peter answered? Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And will you listen to God the Father who says, This is my Son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Will you accept Jesus for who he is, the Son of God, who came to take away the sins of the world? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you today for this account 
of a, a mountaintop experience that was like no other. And we can't imagine being there as, as you were transfigured before the three, with you demonstrating being the fulfillment of the law and fulfillment of the prophets. The one that was prophesied to come for the healing of the world. Lord Jesus, we weren't eyewitnesses. But you have left a living proof. That living proof is as brilliant as your brilliance that day. So may we in faith echo Peter by saying that, yes, yes, you are the Christ. You are the Holy One of God. You are the Messiah who came to save us. May we in faith live out that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.